my perspective. All right. We're latching on to the idea of uh, having our Bible and getting in the habit of, of using our Bible and opening our Bible. And, and it's just a great little way if we bring our Bible along on Sunday morning, write in it, draw on it, whatever, doodle, uh, whatever you need to do to, to mark some notes about what God might be speaking to you about uh, on Sunday morning. If you got in here and you didn't get the sermon notes, um, Richard and, and, oh, he's recruited Patrick. All right. This is my favorite part of the service. Oh. Uh, they, they just slip up your hand and they'll get, uh, they'll get one to you uh, as they come around. And as they do that, let me say that I didn't say at the beginning is if you're new with us, um, we're very glad to have you here. And we recognize that we have such a group of kind of aggressive inviters here at the church that uh, you might be somebody just received an invitation from somebody. And we're just, we're just glad you said yes this week and you're here with us. So right in front of you, there's a, a card uh, in the little pocket. If you don't, wouldn't mind just sometime, I'll even let you do it during the sermon. So that's kind of me. Um, if you'll take that and just fill it out, at least your name and email address, a way we can contact you, and uh, drop it in the offering at the end when we, they come around and they receive that. That would, that would help us connect with you uh, this morning as well. That would be great. So, all right, good. Well, we're going to jump into this. We're going to talk about the story of Joseph. Now, if you've been with us a little while, you'll remember back in October and uh, the first part of November, we actually walked through a five-week series on Joseph. And we, I mean, we talked about this guy inside and out. And so uh, there'll be a little bit of kind of repeat on that because how can you talk about Joseph and not talk about some of the stuff we talked about? Um, but as we're walking through this, I, I want you to remember that the key in Joseph is two words. Two words are the key. The first word is adversity, all right? We find with Joseph that he dealt with an incredible amount of adversity, uh, just thrown his way. And then when he seemingly got out of a situation, there was more adversity that came to throw him in a whole new situation. Adversity, a key word. Can you identify with that word? Anyone here? Adversity? Can you deal with that? So, no, just a couple of you? Really? Yeah, okay, I thought so, I thought so. So, yeah, we deal with adversity all the time. So right away, this is a story that if adversity is the first word, that should be something that kind of perks us up and says, well, I want to know about this guy if he dealt with adversity. All right, the second word is the word faith, the word faith. Because we find in this story that even though Joseph endured adversity after adversity, he rose to the challenge in faith time and time again. In fact, last week we talked about Abraham. And remember, we talked about faith being a key thing, that, that he was tested in his faith. And we said at the end that really the only score that matters to God is our faith score. That really is what matters to God. But we find also in that story of, Joseph, of Abraham that there was this little time where their faith wavered just a little bit, him and Sarah, and they, they tried to have their own plan on how they would have a child instead of the, God that plan, the plan that God had given them. The incredible thing about Joseph is that adversity after adversity comes, even much more so than Abraham, right? And yet we find his faith never wavers, never wavers. Those are the key words, adversity and faith. Why is the second word important to us this morning? Because I think every single Christ follower, every single Christ follower in here as well, we have a desire to have strong faith. In fact, I don't think any of you, if we got to talking about Christianity, you would say, you know, I kind of like this Christianity thing, but I'm okay with weak faith. <laughs> I'll just kind of go about it that way, and that'll be okay with me. No, we all have a desire to have strong faith. And so adversity, very important because we deal with it all the time. But the word faith is very important because we constantly strive to have strong faith. And so we're going to jump into this, this story and we're going to talk about these things that, that Joseph dealt with. Why is it important? 
I believe that the thing that keeps people from becoming Christians often is because when they look at Christians, they are looking at how we deal with the hard things in life. And the truth is, folks, often we fail them. Often we fail them because we've forgotten how strong faith is. The story of Joseph renews that within us, and I hope you'll find that this morning. First thing I want you to to know, it's in your notes this morning, is adversity is not a barrier to greatness. It's the path to greatness. It really is. If you were to listen to testimonies about people that had become great, they all have a story of adversity. They all have a story of when things were bad, rough, when they were kicked out of something, when they were told no, and somehow along the line, it became their pathway to greatness. And I believe this morning, if we want to have great faith, adversity will be part of your struggle to great faith. So let's take a look at it this morning. And I want to first talk about where does adversity come from in our our lives? Now, I've just put down five things. You might be, you know, like I can give you 15 more if you'd like. um, And I believe you can, but we don't have time for that. So don't give them to me this morning. Okay. I'll just go with my five. All right. So let's, let's jump into it. First thing that we find with Joseph is we find that Joseph has adversity when he gets this attack from his family, all right? He's attacked from his family, and he receives this adversity right away. You see, Joseph was the favorite of his father. Twelve kids, right? All right, twelve are these twelve boys? And here, Joseph, the young one, he's the favorite of his father. Now, how many of you guys really enjoy the favorite? Not so much, unless it's you, and then you really enjoy it quite a bit, right? Um, I mean, we have little phrases we use for that, like, you know, in school, teacher's pet. You know, that's never an endearing term when you call somebody teacher's pet, right? We, we say things like that because we, we don't like the favorite. Joseph is the favorite. So naturally, he wasn't enjoyed by his brothers very much. We get this little twinge in Scripture, too, in this story that probably Joseph kind of knew this and liked it a little bit. And if he didn't really outvertly uh, flaunt it. He certainly subtly knew what he was doing uh, in knowing he was a favorite. Take a look at it in in, uh, Genesis. We're in chapter 37. Now, we're going to go from 37 to 50 today, but not verse by verse, so don't panic, all right? But we're going to look at a few passages. Starting in verse 37, this is what it says, verse 4, excuse me, chapter 37, verse 4. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. And could not speak a kind word to him. <laughs> what well, would make sense, right? Uh, I mean, here's these brothers, and the father clearly loves Joseph more, so this is where his adversity first comes. Now, you might say the adversity comes from his father, right? I mean, he should have had more common sense than to have a favorite, right? Probably you would be true. <laughs> but he also, this adversity comes from his brothers, because, I mean, these are the guys that he's going to have to deal with constantly. So what happens, his dad says, hey, go out and uh, check on your brothers. They're out on the field doing their jobs. Go check on them. And so he goes out and he's looking for his brothers. And finally, he comes upon them. Check it out in verse 17. So Joseph went after his brothers and found, their near, found them near Dotham. But they, <clears throat> but they saw him in the distance. And before he reached him, they plotted to kill him. This has gotten pretty bad in this family, this adversity he's facing. I mean, my brothers and I, we fought. You know, when the door closed, the garage door, you know, you know as soon as that thing closed and we heard it close, I mean, it was battle royale going on in, in the house. I mean, there was, you know, positions when I go to my parents' house now and I look at the staircase and I remember being on top of that staircase, you know, leaping off to my brothers thinking, you know, I, I would just kill myself now if I tried to do something. But that's what we did. We fought. 
You probably did the same, right? Brothers and sisters? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is much higher than that. I mean, this is somebody plotting to kill now. And this isn't one person really upset. I mean, all these guys coming together just seemingly is not a reasonable voice in the crowd, and they're going to go, and they're going to kill him. Well, they plot this plan to kill him. Reuben is the reasonable voice. Finally, he steps and says, hey, let's not, let's not kill him. You know, let's, uh, let's do something else with him here. Check it out in verse 28. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of this cistern, this big pit they threw him in, and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. I mean, think about adversity that Joseph is facing up to this point in his life from his family. They want to kill him. They throw him in a pit. They pull him out and they sell him. Instead of killing him, they sell him as a slave and they send him off. Now, my brothers did some bad things to me because they're much taller than me if they were standing next to me. Six three, six one. You know, I'm 5'8", um, and sometimes I exaggerate. So that's... <laughs> Where they were at, uh, seriously, it took me years in my baseball playing career not to call myself 5'9", before I really said, I've got to be truthful about this. They did some bad stuff to me. They never threw me in a pit. Well, they did put me in the bathroom and lock me in there one time, but never threw me in a pit, and they never sold me as a slave. That's the adversity that Joseph is, is dealing with here. Now, think for a moment right now about the two words we talked about, adversity and faith. And you tell me right now, if you face this kind of adversity from your family, sold into slavery, how easy would the second word be for you? How easy would it be to maintain your faith in God, to maintain living a life for God, we find that Joseph never wavers in his faith even up to this point. Well, let's go on. The, the story continues. You see, he did get sold into slavery, and he did move on to chapter 39 now. And uh, he, he moves on into Potiphar's house. All right? And Potiphar, captain of the guard here, uh, when he's in this house, uh, he becomes a, a man of favor in this house. In fact, so much so as Potiphar puts him in second in command in his house. I mean, that's a pretty neat position. I mean, here he is. He's a foreigner now. And as he's living there, he finds such favor with Potiphar that Potiphar says, look, I'll put you in the highest position. Think about it. Have you ever had like a job where you found favor with your boss and your boss said, you know, I'm going to trust you with this job or this position or this thing. That's what's going on with Joseph here. He gets put into this position. It says in verse 4, chapter 39, Joseph found favor in, the eyes, in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted him to his care, <laughs> to care everything he owned. And so here Joseph is now in charge of this house. Now, um, we, we all live probably in like these single family houses, right? Apartment, the condominium, those type of things. And it's hard enough to manage our house, right? It's hard enough. We're not just talking a small house like this. I mean, this is a large household, many servants, many things going on. You know, Potiphar is a very important man. And Joseph is now in charge of all of this here. That's tremendous favor. Adversity. He had faith. He's finding blessing from this here. But, of course, adversity is going to come from another uh, way here. It says here in verse, uh, end of verse 6, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. You see, she's watching, and Joseph, uh, by the scripture here, he is a good-looking, handsome guy. You know, many of us guys, we can, we, you know, we can relate to this right here, right? You know, wives, look to your husband and say, yeah, that's about you. You should quote that verse. So that would build us up. 
But Joseph here, it, it says he's good looking, he's a handsome guy, and so Potiphar's wife takes notice of this. Now Potiphar's wife, now we don't know the background story of why she finds this interest in Joseph, but she certainly does, and she says to him, come to bed with me. Now, they're not looking to take a nap, folks, all right? I mean, she's making a sexual advance here on him. And Joseph, the Bible says, continually says no, continually resists. No, 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 no. He says no, all right? Now, she's a woman in a powerful position in his life. But what does he say? No. Great lesson for us there. If you want to write down a little side lesson for us right there in this, that when temptation comes your way or in the area of temptation or if you're even near temptation, what do we do? No, 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 no. It doesn't matter what it's going to make us look like. We say no when temptation's there. That's what Joseph is doing here. He has what? Faith, our two words, faith. But she is so strong, so persistent in this that one day she kind of gets in this situation where it's him and it's her and they're alone. That's never good, uh, never good situation like that. And uh, she gets hold of his, his cloak here and he, what does he do? He's saying no, he does it with his feet this time and he flees, he runs away and the scripture basically tells us that he is running away nude because she's still holding on to his cloak and he is running now. For Joseph, it didn't matter that he was streaking at, at Potiphar's house. What mattered was that he was a man of faith. What mattered here is he was going to say no to her. Adversity. Because what happens? She decides that she, she's been scorned here, and she decides she's going to tell her own story, and the story that she tells her husband lands Joseph in jail. He tried to rape me. This, this guy you brought in tried to rape me. And the husband puts her in jail, puts uh, Joseph in jail, and that's where he's going to go. I kind of think that, that Potiphar probably thought there was something up on this story, that probably he didn't quite believe his wife's story here, because I think if he had heard this in his position, Joseph would have been put to death. But we find Joseph ends up in prison here. And that's where he's going to be. What happens? He gets, he gets compromised at work is what happens. He gets compromised in this situation by this story that Potiphar's wife shares. I, I would love to say that we don't deal with that kind of things in our jobs, do we? <laughs> that we never get in situations at our work where we kind of get scorned or something happens or somebody tells the boss something that's not quite true and it comes back on us and we don't quite know how to deal with the situation. <laughs> and... Sometimes even punishment comes. It's adversity. That's what Joseph is facing once again. Now, this is not in the sense of our job sometimes where maybe you get written up or, or you get a talking to by the boss and then you go away and say, you know, the boss yelled at me and that type of thing. This is prison. This is where he's put. And this is not necessarily one of those where you're put in prison and you've you got a certain jail sentence and you just need to, you know, make your time and you'll be okay. Potiphar controlled this entirely. He put in, and Joseph could have been there the rest of his life, could have never saw the light of day again. It's adversity, adversity that he faces here again. And then we find once he gets in prison, we, we get this story. It starts in verse uh, uh, chapter 40. He gets in prison now, 
And we find that once again, he finds incredible favor with now the prison guard. In fact, such to the point that he's put in charge of all the other prisoners. Now, I've never heard of that in the jail system. Um, you know, my friend Mike back here works in the jail system. Maybe he could tell me different. But I've never really heard of a, uh, necessarily a prisoner being put in charge uh, of all of that. And that's what happens with Joseph here. He finds that kind of favor in there. Why? It's faith. The Lord is blessing again for his faith. Remember, no, no, no. I'm going to run out of here, even naked. Faith. Holding, saying no there. And so in this situation, he finds his great favor in there. And so uh, one day, this cupbearer and this baker come into the prison, right? And they're now prisoners because the Pharaoh wasn't very happy with their service. So he throws them in prison. And these cupbearers, they have dreams. And only one person uh, apparently can interpret this dream, and that is Joseph, which is, which is odd to them. I mean, they're, they're, they're in a land where there's a lot of mag- magicians and a lot of spiritism in their land, and yet nobody could interpret the dreams. But Joseph could. If you remember back when Joseph was just a young boy, he had a dream. In fact, it's what started the anger of his brothers when he shared the dream about the whole family bowing down to him. So the cupbearer and the... Um, the baker share these dreams. Joseph was very clear to say, only God can interpret dreams, so God's going to give me the answer here. And he sh- they share these dreams, and what's the outcome of the dreams here? Cupbearer, hey, you're going to get restored. You're, you're going to be in good standing. You're going to be handing the cup over. Baker, you're going to be dead. <laughs> you're going to be executed. Not great news for him there. I wouldn't want to tell him that. You know, I would say, let's just hang on. I'll talk to you about that later. So... But that's what happens. He shares these dreams, and what would happen? It, it comes true, and the cupbearer is restored. Check it out in chapter 40. Here's what happens. Joseph, talking now to the cupbearer, he says, But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Did Joseph like his situation that he was in? Absolutely not. This is a key point that we pick up on as believers because sometimes when we start talking about adversity and we talk about overcoming adversity, sometimes we think, well, is it just that Christians are just supposed to ignore that and we're just supposed to grit our teeth and deal with it? No. Do you need to like your situation of adversity? Not at all. Did Joseph like it? No. But can you be a person of faith even in the midst of adversity, even in the midst of a situation that you do not like to be in? Absolutely. Is what Joseph is teaching us here. Today, if you are in adversity, if you're in a terrible situation, if you're facing it from one side or from many sides, the word of Joseph today would be telling us, hold to your faith. Hold to your faith. He says here, get me out of this prison. We find later, though, that the dreams come true, the cupbearer is restored, the baker's killed, but the cupbearer forgets. Down in verse 23, It says, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And so now he faces abandonment. This is this adversity that he's facing now. He's being abandoned by his his new friend, this cupbearer, who he just did a, a, a great thing for in interpreting the dream. And he's abandoned. You ever have times in your life when you're looking for somebody to be there for you in a tough situation, and that person doesn't come through? Or maybe the person tries to come through, but they just really blow it in the way that they come through. Or maybe in the end, you think somebody that is kind of friend turns out to do something that you think is foe. 
and you deal with that. Abandonment sometimes in our relationships. We don't always even intend to, to do this to people, but sometimes it happens in these situations. Sometimes it's because we, in the end, we want to make sure I'm covered. <laughs> I take care of myself, and we might abandon. This is an adversity that Joseph faces because what does it mean? This one avenue to get out of his adversity, this avenue to get out of this prison, it's gone now. It's gone. And so it go, he goes on and he stays there a long time. But finally, Pharaoh is the one that has the dream, right? And Pharaoh, can't, not, nobody can interpret this dream for him. And so, ah, light bulb, the cupbearer finally remembers. There was this guy in prison and Pharaoh calls for Joseph. Shares the dream with him, and who can interpret it? Well, God alone can interpret, but he uses Joseph to make it happen. He interprets this dream, and in interpreting the dream, he basically is saying, for your entire kingdom, Pharaoh, you're going to have seven incredible years, and you better store up, because you're going to have seven really bad years, the worst that's ever been, and you better get ready for that. And Pharaoh, so pleased with what Joseph is saying and how he's saying it, and his ability to interpret here, Pharaoh now says, look, you're going to be the one in charge of it. I'm going to put you in charge. You're going to do all that. And the great verse where we find that, that Pharaoh actually takes his signet ring off and he puts it on the hand of Joseph, meaning he's creating this position for him. He didn't fire somebody and slide Joseph in. He puts him into this position, second in command of this whole area. So now we find for three times now Potiphar's house, the prison, and now the entire kingdom under Pharaoh that Joseph has put in charge, the second in command, significant, significant blessing. Why? His faith. Never wavers from his faith. He holds to that. He says, God's the one that can interpret dreams, not me, but I'll let God use me. That's faith. And so God's blessing one more time. But Joseph faced some more adversity here, you see, because when it got really bad and people started coming for food, they're coming to receive food in the second of the seven years, guess who he looks up one day and sees? It's his brothers. They've come for food. They're hungry and starving just the same as anyone else. And so they come, and while they're there, Joseph looks up, second in command now, and he sees his brothers. Think about it for a second. If you face all this adversity, who kick-started all this in the first place? It's his brothers, throwing them into a pit and selling them into slavery. And yet now he looks and he sees his brothers. You can imagine the conflict that would be inside. In fact, this would be a great situation for us to, to have w when power corrupts here, right? This would be a great time when adversity kind of takes hold of us and and we can use our power and we can yield our power to our benefit or to satisfy our emotion or our anger. It would have been understandable. Take a look at it. In, we're now in Genesis 42, if you flip forward. Genesis 42, verse 6. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, he replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them. Remember the dream? Them bowing down? He said to them, you are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. 
Joseph, he lashes out his first knee jerk to his brothers is to kind of lash out in these harsh language. Who are you? You're despised. You've come to spy on us. Kind of find where, where we're weak. See, there's this conflict going on in Joseph. Now we find Joseph gets a good handle on this and he lets God speak into his life and he shows his brothers incredible compassion and forgiveness. But you could understand if it went entirely the other way. You can understand the adversity that he has faced up till now, what he has gone through all the years that he could have just turned to his brothers and he could have sent them off to be killed. But he doesn't do that. See, the two words are adversity and faith. And Joseph still is a man of faith. And so we find he shows his brothers great compassion, even when he could have decided to be corrupt. And then in the very end, we find this this little uh, wrap-up to the story of Joseph here. Uh, After he's reunited with his family, he's reunited with his dad, um, there's this great joy as the family comes together. There's this forgiveness that he's offered. We find this at the very end in chapter 50, starting in verse 19. It says, But Joseph said to them, to his brothers, to his family, Don't be afraid. Am Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. You see, Joseph saw this on a much different level than we sometimes see it when we're trying to overcome our adversity or certainly get back at somebody who's caused us adversity. He says, look, God intended this all for good. Do you know what he's really saying when he says that line? He's saying everything we dealt with when I was in the pit, when I was sold in slavery, when I had the years of building myself up as a slave and finally put in charge, and then when it was all taken from me by Potiphar's wife and I went back into prison and started at the bottom again and worked my way up and found favor, and then, you know, finally I had this opportunity, but I was forgotten, and so I just kind of sat in prison one more, for, for several more years. Finally I got out, and then... You think it was an uh, easy job collecting the grain and then distributing the grain those last 14 years? Not, Not easy at all for Joseph. All of this that I've dealt with, Joseph said, it was intended for good. God put it in place for a reason. Wouldn't it have been nice if God had just jumped Joseph from, you know, when he was a boy straight into that position like Pharaoh had been sending out his people you know, recruiting people to uh, help in the kingdom. And they had saw Joseph and saw great, you know, hey, there's not a good things in this boy. Let's hire him right away and we'll put him in our internship program and we'll work him up. It's not how it happened. He had to go through years and years of adversity. Adversity also often comes, and we talked about it last week, in our delays in life, in the prolonged things that we have to deal with in life. And that's what's going on with Joseph. Years of delay but God fulfilled the dream that he gave him when he was a little boy. God did that. And he also saved many lives in the process. You see, sorrow looks back, worry looks around, but faith looks ahead. I believe that constantly in this story, the reason Joseph overcame adversity so well is because he was always looking ahead. He was always looking for where God was going to work in his life and what God was going to do next and was just asking the question, God, what do you want me to do in the time being? If you flip your, your notes to the back side, I just want us to finish off this morning with just a, a few keys to overcoming 
adversity. And I want to walk through these fairly quick this morning. But as we walk through these, I'm going to guess that all of you probably in some way or another roughly fit into some of these, these four. You, you understand these four principles or you're like, oh, that's the one I do need or I need to remember that. And so however the Lord wants to speak to you this morning, I want to make sure that you have that note in front of you and you mark clearly, whether in your Bible, on your notes, this is where God's speaking to me about. Because it might be when you go home that this is the note you need to take home. You need to pin up somewhere and, and say, I need to remember this when adversity comes or I'm in it now and I need to see this every single day, every single morning. So let's jump into it. And the number one is, is that prosperity is temporary. So be thankful. Do you know that prosperity is temporary? Whenever you reach this great plateau or great place in life, whether it's financial or, or you get a promotion or, you know, you find the girl of your dreams or whenever we reach this place in life, guess what? That feeling is often temporary. Certainly with money, boom, it's, it can be gone just like that, can it not? I mean, we can go out and we can make one foolish purchase of a large item, you see, and it can be gone just like that, right? Job promotion can be eliminated just like that. Maybe we don't meet a job performance review, right? Or maybe it's just downsizing time and we lose that position. We find in, in our marriages, we got to work at a marriage, right? I mean, that, that wonderful feeling when you walk down the aisle, you know, and, and you're all kind of goo-goo as you run back to the, the car and you head off for the honeymoon. You got to work from that point on a marriage, right? And you got to work as a, at a marriage day in, day out. So it's, it's temporary. So we need to be thankful. What we really need to say here is that we have to be thankful for what God has given us. If you're in a place right now where you're like, man, I don't really have any adversity. Life's going well. Everything's really good. Finances are met. Good job. You know, things are going well at home with the kids, all that kind of stuff. Dog doesn't bark. Every, every you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, for, First of all, um, you might be the one we want to beat up afterwards, uh, but you just need to be ready. You need to be ready because adversity is coming your way. It happens to every one of us. So when we, when we are in a time of prosperity, we need to remember to be thankful. We forget that sometimes, that God brought us the prosperity, and so we need to look to him and be thankful to that. It keeps our focus on what he's offering. Take a look at this. I think... I think uh, Apostle Paul figured this out. It says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every, or any and every situation, whether well-fed or whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. What a great verse. Now, verse 13 is the one we like to quote a lot, you know? We like to put on jackets and all kinds of stuff. But verse 12 is powerful. He said, I, I've lived in all these situations. I've lived in plenty. I've lived in nothing. And I found the secret of contentment. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who gives me strength now. So be thankful when times are good. The second one is adversity is inevitable, so be prepared. <laughs> you think adversity is not coming your way, um, you know, you need a little, a little head check. It's coming. Adversity is inevitable. We all deal with it at some point in, uh, or another. In life, you're going to deal with some sort of adversity. Yeah, I was in my, uh, my bedroom one night when I was 16 years old. I had just come from a day of playing. Uh, it was an off day of school, and we were playing kind of tackle football out at uh, the elementary school grass. I was in my room that night, and my mom came into the room. I could tell she had been crying a little bit, and she told me that night that 
One of my friends that we had been playing football with that afternoon was killed in a car wreck that night. You're never prepared to deal with that, right? But adversity comes. It comes in your life. And so when I say adversity comes, be prepared, we're meeting like Joseph, being prepared in our faith, being prepared in what and how to deal with things when they're thrown our way. Not to say, well, I'll have all the right words to say, because we don't ever have the right words to say, right? Or that I don't know exactly what to do in those situations. We don't always know when adversity comes our way how to deal with it. How do you deal with it when your boss comes and says, look, I don't have any more work for you. I'm going to have to let you go. It's hard to say exactly how do I deal, what's the right words. But we can be prepared in our faith. We can be prepared. As we're invested in God's word, like we're doing together as a church family, where we're invested in time with God regularly, when we're invested in saying, Lord, I surrender these areas of my life that I'm going to live for you in these areas so that when the hard places come, I'll know I'll have already been doing it in these areas and I'll know how to just slide that over and do it there. Second Timothy 3.12 tells us this. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's good news, huh? <laughs> Not enjoyable, but it comes. That type of adversity and persecution comes. And like we said last week, when these things come in our lives, the question of why comes, and I believe it's the only way God will build our faith and build our character is how we go through these things. Third, efforts is central. Essential, excuse me. So don't give up. Don't give up. I love sports, as you know. And one of the things I love about sports is there's this story of sport. There's recurring stories of sport. And one of the recurring stories that I appreciate so much in sports, you see it over and over and over, is the person who is down and out, and they never give up, and they keep pushing, and they keep pushing, they keep working. And and, uh, sometimes it happens uh, where somebody keeps working hard, and then they overcome. They They lose. They get trounced, and then somehow they become a winner. Other times, they never become that level of winner, but the effort is no less inspiring, that they keep pushing and keep pushing. In fact, there's probably some people in your life that when you think of sports, or maybe you can apply this to anything you want, you would say, you know that person, they just never give up. They never give up. They keep going. I had no doubt, my wife, Cherie, when she tore her ACL uh, in Taekwondo, I had no doubt that she would put herself ahead, the t- ahead of the timetable for uh, getting herself back and getting healed and getting going because she carries this mentality, you know? I'm the one who constantly, just chill out. You know, you can't, you can't go that hard. But because they have that, she has that mentality. You know somebody like that, never give up. Well, the same thing is true in our faith, that we have, we have to keep saying, I am not gonna give up here. When adversity comes my way, I am not gonna throw the towel in. I'm not gonna bail. I'm not gonna give up. Because you never know when we're gonna get in a being trounced type situation when we're just going to get blown away. And we say, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going. Check out what the scripture says in Galatians 6, uh, verse, verse 9. Let me get to the right verse. Well, I'll read it off here. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And so the metaphor Paul's saying, look, it's coming. The good stuff is coming, but don't give up or you're not going to experience the good. You're not going to experience it. Last week we said about Abraham, if we keep stepping in and we play God ourselves, guess what? We, we miss what God really wanted to do in the situation, how God really wanted to invest in us and build us up. So we can't give up because God wants to do something. He wants to grow 
us up in our lives. So